Let's bow once more as we uh, prepare to open up the Word of God this morning. Lord, you are truly great. And we are gathered here today uh, not because of our own doing. Uh, We are gathered here today because you have opened our spiritual eyes to the truth of who you are. And that through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, we have uh, the privilege of, of knowing you eternally. Uh, and as we open up your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would teach us uh, that uh, as we realize, uh, looking throughout the, the word of God, and particularly as the mystery was revealed that your son Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, that through uh, repentance and uh, faith and trust in, in your son alone uh, provides uh, redemption, uh, forgiveness, uh, and an eternal life. Uh, But, Lord, there's so much more to understand and the deeper truths for us to know in relation to salvation itself, in relation to your holiness and uh, just uh, how much of a a gap uh, that existed uh, between us and you. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the ability to study your word, and we uh, commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians, maybe crawling through the book of Ephesians. Um, As you know, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, before Communion Sunday, uh, we took a look at, uh, in particular, the holiness of God. Uh, And the reason for looking at the holiness of God was uh, for us to realize that God is holy, holy, holy. And I told you that that was going to pair with what I'm going to share with you today. And I'm asking as we begin this uh, part two of God's sovereign plan of salvation uh, that you uh, begin to understand and, and you listen to what the Word of God has to say. Because if you look at uh, what comes out of uh, man's heart, you will be deceived. We need to go right to the truth for us to understand just the fact that God is holy, 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 but also just how sinful man is. And that will help us to better understand why we need salvation, why there is, as you'll see in oftentimes uh, illustrations or ways to share the gospel, um, that big gulf that is between us and God. Uh, And part of that is for us to realize that salvation does belong to God. And that's why no one is above salvation, Uh, that it does not uh, depend upon you to, you know, somehow weave a narrative that is going to convince someone uh, of salvation. It's the the Spirit of God that begins that work of regeneration. That's why we need to be born again. Uh, And so as we begin today, I'd like to start by uh, asking the question, um, a question that I think uh, speaks to a lot of what's going on even in our world today, is that is man basically good? And depending upon who you talk to, you're going to get a variety of answers. Uh, And you will find that those answers will also be based off of what is used as comparison to to decide whether or not if man is basically good. But there is a truth that man can be religious. Uh, That means that he can live in a moral way. Uh, And there are a lot of people that do live in moral ways in in our country and in our world. Uh, You can see that happening as uh, they reach out and they help other uh, people, uh, and even going to the point of being charitable, which man can even be charitable, means giving to his fellow man. But the question is, is that 
good and in good in, in relation to what? Uh, because, it, you know, we, whatever your comparison is, whatever your litmus test is going to be, is going to determine what something is. You know, if you remember back to school, you use litmus tests to be able to test for different things. Well, if your standard for good uh, is very low or is compared to something that, you know, is worse than, then you're going to find that your definition of, of people being good is going to be that much lower. And the reason why we started with the holiness of God is for us to be able to understand and compare ourselves to the only standard there is. That is God himself. Now, I came across an article uh, in the Christian News Network entitled, Survey Shows Most Americans Believe Humans Are Basically Good But Don't Think Life is Sacred. Uh, It was written by Heather Clark uh, in June of last year. Uh, And so I'd like to read a portion out of here in relation to what they surveyed, because I think it is a telltale sign in relation to how people define that man is basically good. It says the center surveyed 2,000 adults at random in January of 2020 for its American worldview inventory, interviewing those of all ages, ethnicities, beliefs, and political persuasions. Okay, and this is uh, the participants were asked whether they agree or disagree with the statement, people are basically good. Now, I would poll and see what you think in relation to hand raising, but I won't put anyone on the spot this morning. Uh, But believe it or not, 7 out of 10 people, 69%, responded that they believe man is basically good. For respondents who are churchgoers, and this is the statistic that was even more sobering, uh, most still agreed. Matter of fact, evangelicals and Pentecostals were 70% each, and mainline Protestant and Catholic houses of worship were 75 and 77% respectively. So in, herein lies the, the paradox or the problem. Is man basically good? Because if man is basically good, it is going to affect how the world or how any one individual sees themselves. And if most people, as they're polled, think that, you know, even if going with the lowest number, lowest common denominator of 69%, believe that people are basically good, then think of that in light of what's going on in our country right now. You know, um, I don't want to get too political here this morning, uh, but I can't help but see the, the parallel is that if people think that they are basically good, then a movement like defunding or dismantling of the police makes perfect sense. But if man is not basically good, then removing the accountability of what law enforcement individuals do, which they're there to enforce the law and to protect those that are victims of those who are breaking the law, If people think they're basically good, then why do you need law enforcement? And so Aaron lies the whole question, and when you take a look at this, you know, it it makes it, you know, complete sense. If people think, if 70% of people think that man is basically good, then why do we need 
you know, that. And, and they may, you know, package it or disguise it in some sort of other thing that they'll say that, you know, it's because of, uh, you know, racism or things of that sort that they'll, they'll, you know, lump all this in there to, you know, misdirect. But the thing is, is that people, for the most part, believe that they're good. So why do you need someone to enforce laws? Because you know what? They're just going to obey the laws anyway because 70% of people are good. But then it goes back to the question, by what standard is man good? Is being good simply feeling happy and leading a peaceful, decent life? Is being good just being better than those we deem as bad? Is being good a psychological condition or a spiritual condition? Because however you answer those questions is going to determine what your, your subset of, you know, good is. See, how man sees himself will have a profound effect in answering the following questions. Does God's holiness speak to my personal existence? And if you look at our country right now, what is one of the, the main things that has been happening, I can say for sure, in my entire lifetime has been a departure from acknowledging the one true God and replacing it with the fact that, well, man is basically good. Or at least those that are in the power to say or to dictate is that man is basically good and therefore this is what we should do. That we should just embrace and take in everything and see, that's why we have to go to the one standard that is eternal, the God who has no beginning, no end, who is perfect and righteous and holy in all his ways, the one who is the creator, the sustainer, and the one to whom everyone will one day have to give an account. You can't use any other standard because if you do, you're going to come up short. Your definition of what is good is going to be affected by that. And the thing is, is if you don't see yourself against the holiness of God the God who is thrice holy, then do I actually need a savior? What do I need to be saved from? I'm basically good. A little, I'm being a little facetious there, by the way. You know, well, what am I being saved from? If, if, if 70% of people, and you know what? I'm going to be part of that 70%. I don't want to be part of the 30%. You know, I want to be part of that, you know, good group that is, you know, good, you know, for the most part. You know, so the thing is, is if they believe they're good, then that's going to affect how they answer that question. You know, and even how you go about being saved. And we can see this throughout church history, that many things came out of, you know, the first century as a distortion of what the, the glorious gospel good news uh, was from the very beginning. That of, you know, repenting of our sins and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what has happened over the centuries is that things have been, you know, added in or taken away or distorted or rewritten so that, you know, it can accommodate the, the man who is good. Because we're really not all that bad. Or, you know what, we really, you know what, God, you know, he knows a lot, but he doesn't know me or doesn't know enough. Uh, and so what we do is we say, well, this is how you should be saved. And you can see that in all the world religions. And there's all kinds of distortions of the reality. Uh, and so that's why we use the word of God as our standard. That's why the God who is thrice holy is our standard. He is the one that we always must compare ourselves to. No one else. 
Because we will always, without exception, find someone else that is worse than we are, someone else that we definitely would say, I would never be like that. And that's what we'll use as our comparison is how we live even as believers in Jesus Christ. And those are the things that we have to make sure that we always are using the word of God as our defined source of what is good. And you remember when Jesus was posed, you know, uh, in relation to um, being called good, he says, you know, why do you call me good? Only God is good. See, man is not good. And we're going to find that out very in short form here. But this, the question is, is what is man's natural condition apart from God? And the thing is, I could go to all kinds of you know, extra-biblical sources and come up with a, a wide, broad, embracing definition of what is good. But you know what? That wouldn't help us to understand what the truth is. And so we're going to go to the Word of God. Because you need to see, not only as those who have put their faith and trust in Christ to really realize that when you start singing about the mercy and the grace of God, that it has so much more depth so much more life that there is a difference between being part of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It is profoundly different, just like it is profoundly different for the thrice holy God to be in the presence of sinful man. It can't happen. They are so far apart. They are polar opposite. That's why God sent a Savior. That's why Jesus needed to come. So let's take a look at uh, what we define uh, in theological circles as original sin. Um, And it's a term used to describe the effect of Adam's sin on all of mankind. Uh, And it takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, which, uh, like I said, if you need to figure out a lot of what pertains to the Bible, go back to the book of Genesis, because the book of Genesis has, has it all. Uh, it tells us, you know, why things are the way they are today, because it goes back to the book of beginnings. Uh, but we read in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, that it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that one man is Adam, and death through sin, okay, so we know death came as a result of that disobedience that Adam and Eve did in the garden, because God said he gave them permission to eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that they do eat that, they would what? Die. So, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so that, that spreading of death to all men is speaking to uh, what we, we call the original sin or sin nature. But you'll notice that it says, and uh, to all men, because all sinned. So we can't go back and just say, well, it's Adam's fault. We do get our sin nature from Adam. We do have what we call original sin from Adam. But it says very clearly that because all sinned. So we are active, willing participants in this sin. Verse 19 of the same chapter says, for as by one, uh, the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by the one man's obedience, the many will be, be made righteous. So those three little words, were made sinners, in Greek, that phrase is in what we call the aorist indicative. Uh, and the aorist indicative in Greek is a completed past action in fact. 
Okay, so it is a completed action in the past that is complete fact. There's no change in it. It's not a you know manipulation to uh, details. It is in fact something that is completed as a past action in the past. So we were made sinners because Adam was our representative. He is the one through whom uh, we have a sin nature. But two, as we'll read in a moment, we willfully sin. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty two says, "As uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." See, Jesus is mentioned as the second Adam because Jesus did what Adam could not do, and that was be perfect. Because Adam sinned, he did the one thing that God told him not to do. Um, we read about uh, this in, in other uh, language here in, in the book of Psalms. Um, verse, or chapter 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, or sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And that's speaking to that original sin, that sin nature that we are born with. Um, um, Psalm 58, verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Uh, they go astray from birth, speaking lies. So yes, we do have a sin nature, because Adam was our representative. Just as much as when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he is our redeemer. He is our advocate, our representative before the Father as one who has been bought and paid for when we trust him as Lord and Savior. But see, part of this is understanding in relation to the sin nature is that this original sin accomplished something. Because this original sin brought physical, moral, and spiritual corruption into the world. There is no aspect of anything in the existing world that is not affected by sin. Even the creation itself, as the scriptures say, grown as a result of this. This rebellion against God had consequences uh, that apart from God intervening to provide a way of salvation would continue to be in that state of corruption. See, there's no aspect of man's heart, his soul, his mind, or his strength that is not totally affected. Totally affected. So, if it's totally affected, if we are in our womb brought forth in iniquity, is man good? So you have to have the answer from the word of God. And the, and the scriptures speak at length to all of this. And we're going to spend a few moments bouncing around to some different scriptures for you to see man's, man's natural condition. But even in our doctrinal statement, as part of Ellington Baptist Church, one of the statements in there is, We believe all men by nature and by choice are sinners and apart from Christ shall be forever separated from God. That is a true statement. We are sinners by nature because we have a sin nature. We have a representative in Adam going all the way back to the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed. But we are also sinners by choice. So any of you that think that you are perfect here on earth, I just burst your bubble because you're not. We are all sinners by choice and, a, and, I, and I love how the, the wording of this, and apart from Christ, 
So is man good enough to, you know, do enough good things in order to present himself to God? Absolutely not. Apart from Christ shall be forever separated from God. So let's take a look at what the scriptures say, because this is, again, the only standard by which we should compare anything in relation to who we are, in relation to who God is, and in relation to the world in which we live. And so let's take a look at man's natural condition. You don't have to turn to all these unless you uh, desire to, uh, but the, are, the first thing that is obvious is that man's heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful, which being deceitful means it's del- it deliberately misleads. Okay, that's your heart apart from God. It deliberately misleads above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. Does that sound like something that's good? In Mark chapter 7, we find the second one. Because the heart is full of evil things. Listen to verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23. All these things, or actually all these evil things, come from within, and they defile a person. So that's a laundry list of man who sees himself 69% as good. Jeremiah 31, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 13, 23. Not only is man's heart deceitful, not only is it full of evil things, but it's accustomed to doing evil. It says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Okay, the answer to that question is, no, he cannot. And no, it cannot. Then also, you can do good who are accustomed to do, are, are accustomed to do evil. So the, the, the comparison is, is it possible for someone who is accustomed to doing evil to do good? The answer to that question is no. No more than an Ethiopian can change his skin or a leopard can change its spots. It's not within their power to do so. Well, the Bible's not done yet. And this is obviously not exhaustive, but it's going to give you a taste for just how sinful man is. And in comparison to how holy God is, oh, it is amazing grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that, Uh, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him or foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So man, apart from God, man with a sin nature and a man who sins willfully and chooses to sin cannot understand those things which are spiritual because they're foolishness to him. It's not even in the same universe. Remember, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. There is no intermingling. They are two separate kingdoms. One is man's kingdom of darkness and sin. The other is God's kingdom of of truth and and light and, and righteousness and holiness. They don't intertwine. There is no gray areas. 
There is a great divide between the two. That's why a Savior, the very Son of God, the only one who could bridge that gap, had to come. It had to be God as the first cause. Because there's no intermingling. As a matter of fact, from one kingdom of darkness over here, the natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God in the kingdom of light. Because they are folly to him. It's foolishness. Because his nature is sin. That's all he knows. That's why the scriptures, you are a slave to it. And yet you willfully participate in it. Sinful man cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So something from the spiritual side has to come over and bridge the gap to the the kingdom of darkness in order for those that are in the kingdom of darkness to be able to understand things that are part of the spiritual kingdom of light. That's the only way it can happen. And if that's not enough, the scripture goes on to say that that, uh, man is unable to accept spiritual things, but he's also... Not only unable to accept them, he's actually hostile toward God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's because sin is a declaration of war. Just like breaking the laws of our land is a declaration of war against the laws of our land. That's why there are police officers that enforce the law. Because man is not good, man is sinful. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Because God's law is part of the spiritual kingdom of light. And sinful man does not want to be ruled, he wants to rule himself. But the problem is, is he does not have the authority or the power to rule himself. He doesn't even have the authority or the power to sustain himself. Because apart from God's common grace on all mankind, we would cease to exist at the moment, the twinkling of an eye, that God stops sustaining life. Man would become the dust that he was made from. It does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. So no matter how hard you try, you cannot even commit or submit to God's law. It's foreign to you. You don't want to. God's law means nothing to you. But that law is exactly what God is going to use to judge you. One day when every human being on this planet, those both before us and those that will, if God's common grace continues until the day in which Christ returns. That is the standard of righteousness. And that's why Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He did what we could not do because he was the son of God, the sinless son of God, the lamb of God. He fulfilled the law. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot. It's not part of who they are. So stop thinking, stop believing the lie that Satan wants everyone to believe that man is good. He is not. He is wicked to his core. 
And that's why the scriptures that it says, that, you know, and such were some of you. But we're no longer those people when we put our faith and trust in the only one who can save us, the only one who can redeem us. Later on in the book of Ephesians, one of the other things that we're going to notice in chapter 2 is that a natural man is spiritually dead. There is no spiritual life in him because the natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually attained, spiritually discerned. uh, Verses 1 to 5 of Ephesians 2 starts and says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Have you noticed the sons of disobedience at work in the world today? Is man basically good? No, he's not. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, which we know from uh, the other verse that we read, uh, and I'm not going to find it. Well, we'll just go on. Um, among whom we also all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's our nature. That's who we are. Like the rest of mankind... But, and as uh, the kids found out and no one got a reaction out of uh, Jeff Smith when he did that and said that one of the best words in the Bible is the word but. And probably the adults are probably going to laugh at it more than the kids. It, it was early on in the night, too. You would have thought they would have, you know. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Amen. Amen. See, apart from God, there is no bridging the gap. There is no amount of good, and I'll put good in quotes, works that you can do to bridge that gap. Only the Son of God can bridge that gap. And matter of fact, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the only way that anything is going to start you know, being changed over here is by God. The first cause initiating and coming over. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he walked the earth. That's why he took on flesh and dwelt among us. So that we could see who God was, or God was and is. It is to come because he's eternal, because he does not change. But not only are they spiritually dead, but there's no fear of God in them. One last example here in Romans 3, 9 to 18. It says, what then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. So no one is exempt from it because it is our our sin nature because Adam was our representative from the beginning, but we also are those who willfully and choose to sin. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. It doesn't say some are righteous. It doesn't say that 69% of people are righteous or good. It says none. No, not one. Do you think Paul wanted to make sure that it was clear? Do you think God, through the inspiration 
of you know, his spirit to pen those words, wanted to make sure that we would understand that no one is righteous, no one is good, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in the paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The thing is, you can turn the news on and you can see that happening real time. And maybe there's even a point where you can look back into your past and you you know it real time because you were that person. But see, that's what makes grace so amazing. And salvation is something that only God does. Salvation belongs to God. And so as we think about the thrice holy God, when we think about man's natural condition, that his heart is deceitful, full of evil things, and he's accustomed to doing evil, unable to accept spiritual things, hostile toward God, spiritually dead, and no fear of God in him. The question that poses right now before we step into the glorious gospel good news of salvation in verses 4 through 14 is how then, or then how, as I wrote it in my notes, can anyone possibly become a Christian? That's the question. And glory be to God that he did provide a way. See, if man does not see himself as God sees him, then understanding the work of God in redemption will be flawed. And you will see that through every religion of the world of man trying to somehow measure up, somehow hoping that he will be appease whatever God that he has chosen when the time comes to accept them for who they are. And the thing is, God does not accept us for who we are. He comes in and transforms us. Because God cannot take that which is sinful and mesh it with that which is thrice holy. So he had to provide an eternal way for us to be rescued out of that. And that's Jesus Christ. See, unregenerate man apart from God is terminal in his condition Unregenerate man will never freely choose God in his sinfulness because they're two separate kingdoms. In all those examples we gave you, that he's dead in his trespasses and sin, the natural man does not accept the things that are of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. God has to initiate and to provide salvation. Because if man tries to figure out some way to appease God, guess what? It's always going to come up short. For all have sinned and fall, what? Short of the glory of God. Because man in his attempts, even if he's trying to be what we would consider spiritual, still has no fear of God. So in other words, whatever he's going to do is going to be for his what he sees as his own personal benefit. What can I get out of it? If there's a God, excuse me, if there's a God, then this is how I can appease him. Which is a bold proclamation from someone created to the one who is the creator. But unregenerate man does, unregenerate man does respond to God. But that response is in line with his fallen nature. 
and his willful choice to sin against a holy God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why is it folly? Because it is a message falling on deaf ears. Someone who is hostile, spiritually dead, has no fear of God, unable to accept spiritual things, who is accustomed to doing that which is evil. But to us who are being saved, the remainder of the verse, the blessing, the amazing grace, the mercy of God, it's the power of God. So the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because God is the one opening up our spiritual eyes for us to be able to see our need of a Savior, that we cannot do it on our own. That only Jesus Christ, who is and proclaimed in John fourteen six, the way, the truth, and the life. It's not a coincidence. Those are declarative statements. He is the way, the truth, the life. And he came for the purpose of providing himself as that sacrifice. John chapter 3. Uh, you've got John 3.16 memorized quite well, but we stop there often and don't look at the verses that are contextually around it. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And that proclaims exactly what we've looked at for the last 10 minutes. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. See, that's what God's law does. It exposes the darkness of the sinful world. It exposes us to the truth that we're not good. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that the, his deeds have been carried out in God. Do you notice the difference? It's not sinful man trying to accomplish something to somehow appease the thrice holy God. The reason he comes to the light is so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out by God. That phrase carried out uh, in God actually literally means to is produced or performed by. So the only way that anything spiritual in relation to God, anything in relation to what the light represents, which is all truth, only can be carried out and produced and performed by who? God. See, that's why grace is so amazing. And I know I keep saying that. But the thing is, is when you start to see the thrice holy God and what he did through his son, Jesus Christ, you can't help but have your heart break when your spiritual eyes have been opened to the fact that that grace is truly amazing. See, only God can open man's blind eyes. Only God can break the chains of sin and its nature. Only God can redeem man out of his hopeless situation. God's the key. That's why salvation belongs to God. Because apart from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are going to receive the just fruits of our willful disobedience against a thrice holy God. You do not deserve the sinless Son of God. 
by mercy and by the grace of God, we've been blessed beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine and have a debt that we can never repay. See, salvation belongs to God. He is the first cause. He is the one that initiates salvation because apart from God, we're going to continue to do that which is consistent with our sinful nature and we're going to have the desires of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the, end, uh, the pride of life. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why? Because we are over in the kingdom of darkness. We are happy and content doing what we want to do because that makes us in our own minds the Lord of everything, that I can selfishly have whatever I want. It doesn't matter who I hurt, who I step on, or what that may mean, even in relation to my own personal well-being. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, it's the power of God. God is the one coming in and rebirthing. You know, you must be born again. Does that sound like something that is just a renovation of what's there? Or that man is basically good and that God can just, you know, Jesus is kind of just a little extra to make sure that we make it? Absolutely not. That's man's sinful mind trying to figure out a way to get around the fact that it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God. It's the Father who initiates. And when God initiates that, then yes, man does exercise his will and puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we even know scripturally that that faith is even a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. See, this is why we cannot listen to what man says. Because man will, as it says, his heart is deceitful, so his mind will deliberately, deliberately mislead him into thinking something that is actually false to be something that, that ends up being true. And generations have lived that way. And I'm here to tell you today, that no matter what man may tell you, no matter how we, comfortable we want to be as a culture and not wanting you know, uh, our, our wrongdoing you know, put underneath the spotlight of God's holiness, is that's exactly what our culture needs. It's exactly what sinful man needs, is for the, the thrice holy God to come in and turn your world inside out, upside down, and rebirth. Be reborn. Nicodemus couldn't even understand it. How can I go back into my mother's womb? Because spiritual rebirth has to happen. You have to be reborn, born again. That's the only way that a thrice holy God can allow someone who is sinful into his presence for eternity to experience everlasting life in Jesus Christ. He provided the way. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, thank you that we do have your truth today. Thank you that you just didn't wait until we see you face to face to pop the news on us that 
The wages of our sin is death. Because you are also a loving God, a caring God, a God that is long-suffering, a God that is just. And that you are just in all that you do. You were just when your son, Jesus, hung on that cross. Because the justice that was there was him taking my sins upon himself so that one day, in 1975, I would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Because it was at that moment, as a Sunday school teacher shared with me the good news of salvation, that your spirit opened my eyes and helped me to see and to know and to believe that I was able to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And Lord, I know many here today and uh, can identify with that, that there was a moment when they can look back and see. And it is truly like a light switch has flipped on. At one point you were ignorant, you were blind, you know, to the truth, and then all of a sudden everything was crystal clear. Thank you for those moments in the lives of each one here. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has been striving in their own strength to think that they're basically good and that God will understand that he'll make an exception, that they would stop believing those lies, that they would fall on their knees and repent before the thrice holy God and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Thank you, Father, for being the good God that you are the only one who is good, and the only one who can make us good through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.